Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Hi, Omar. Very well, thank you. And yourself? Very well, thank you. Very well. You know, I I have to say, we, we spoke a couple of days ago and I, I mentioned to you at the end of our conversation yeah. that you started my day off on the perfect way. Not normally, normally I rely on my morning coffee to get me in the right mood. Uh, but I, I, I have to say, the, the coffee was not needed after talking to you. Oh, thank you very much, Omar. That's very flattering. Um, no, no, the pleasure's I, mine. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, obviously being in the coffee industry is kind of um, part of my day to obviously, you know, share things and obviously, you know, bring light to people's days. And um, I guess that's part of the reason why I've, I've been in the industry so long. It's not just about the coffee, but uh, obviously about the people you interact with and, and the experiences you share. So, um, yeah, no, that's great. And I mean, um, I, w I would like to say something too, and like congratulations on your uh, recent, uh, I think it was a quarter of a million that's uh, right listeners yeah so that's a that's a huge feat so congratulations there and thank um, you so much um, no it's, it's 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 a real achievement and um i actually managed to listen to a podcast last night and i, I listened to the whole thing and i didn't realize how long it was and i thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed it so um so you you guys are doing an excellent job and, oh thank um, you so much uh, yeah yeah um, so like one of the things I always say to myself and, you know, keeping myself excited and, and, you know, getting myself out of bed every day is, you know, will I try a new coffee today and have I shared it with anyone? Um, and, and that's, that's a, pretty much how I'd like to uh, share my experiences and, and what part and part why I love coffee. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not just about, you know, what you've perceived, it's about sharing it and, and seeing what other people you know, their input is or what they like and dislike. And that's one of the things I really love about the coffee industry. You know, no matter where you go, if it's a different cafe or something, you know, that sort of vibe and uh, interaction is, uh, is, is definitely one of the things I love about it. No, yeah. it's really quite interesting because you, you do have truly one of the most, you know, uh, a passionately infectious um, uh, interests in, <laughs> in, in coffee that I've ever encountered. Uh, it, 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 honestly, it truly is refreshing to kind of see that. Um, but you know what? No, normally, I kind of start off with asking the, ask, asking my guest to kind of introduce themselves. But I just want to really quickly ask you something: How much of yeah. the coffee experience do you think is is a result of the ambiance and the atmosphere? Because you kind of mentioned about you know being in a cafe and stuff, and I I wonder what your your what your take is on that. That's a really good question, and um, from being you know. Uh, from, I, I literally started from the bottom um, and I moved to Hong Kong in late 2011 and at that time coffee was I would say it was just turning out of uh, third wave coffee and really sort of taking hold more of the fourth wave coffee and um, so when I entered it was I was on the tail end of third wave and um, I really uh, embraced it and, and learned a lot from that that sort of style um, but when coffee started to change into fourth wave, uh, you know, longer shots, lighter roasts, um, it was it was only then that we really sort of looked at um, retail and retail behavior. And um, so I, I used to work for a, a luxury retailer and we used to be on, you know, serving uh, investment bankers and lawyers mm -hmm. and only sort of catering for the central business district um, um, clientele. And um, this really brought to light um, luxury retail and what affected consumer behavior. 
and through you know um, increasing prices from one year to every two years and Hong Kong being a very expensive place you you really feel the uh, consumers sort of annoyance to the price increase um, but how can you you know um, relate that price increase to you know let them perceive what they are having as value um, and is definitely in the vibe and uh, you know from the presentation of your cups to the way you greet the guests coming in and um, I used to train people and um, it wasn't just about training people how to make coffee um, for sure it was also about how to you know make people feel like they know you um, you know you're part of their morning and um, you know they're not just a, a cup of coffee that you're just dishing out um, and that's where I really differentiate the really cool hipster bars uh, maybe not even hipster now it's kind of more like I would they're the upper echelons of you know what coffee bars should be like um, I've been in bars where you know you walk in and no one acknowledges you and mm. you know waiting times are very long and there's no sort of oh you know we'll, we'll get your coffee straight out sort of thing um, it's those little things and little um, astuteness that really brings out the vibe um, and, 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 and essentially repeat customers. So, um, yeah, I think you really touched upon something that is, is, is very true. Um, I've, you know, seen bars that their coffee wasn't that great, but their vibe was fantastic. And, you know, the, the, and that keeps people coming back. Um, but when I say fantastic coffee, you know, I think I've been very spoilt in my career and I've mm. tried many different coffees, many different origins. So um, I'm chasing those, you know, God shots, those really fantastic shots. And um, it's almost come to a point where I'll get a coffee and I'll manage my disappointments sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, 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 and that is that is just me being really truthful about it. And um, the more you drink coffee, the more you drink, you know, the, the really higher quality stuff. Um, the more you realize that, you know, it really is that 5% of the whole coffee market, you know. Yeah. Um, so 5% being the speciality coffee sector, uh, meaning 5% of the total world's production of beans is only catered for the speciality. Right. Uh, and obviously you have different grades within that 5%. Yeah. Um, and maybe only 1% is, uh, is, is the top, top, top echelon. Um, and that's where you see things like a Cup of Excellence coming out, yeah. you know. Um, which is like the awards of each country, uh, the top 20, I believe it is. And um, those, those farms basically go on auction and uh, sold to the highest bidder. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's, 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 it really is about the quality, but it also, yeah, the ambience, the vibe, um, it travels a long way. And um, I think it's, it's, it's quite easy to understand why, you know, if you have service that is, you know, it's not uncommon to get a bad shot. Uh, the baristas can't taste every shot, and you know, um, to have that to be a barista and expect that every shot is going to be amazing is is unrealistic. Um, part in part is the hardware. Um, coffee is a fruit; it's not going to be the same every time. Hmm. And um, you know, your preparation, your roasting, your hardware—you know—all that has to be in sync and in harmony before you know you you, you really nail out those consistencies. Um, so, um, in my opinion, um, yeah, the vibe holds very, very strong in, in, uh, in building a, a good reputation, um, whether it being on the quality of coffee or not, but as a, as a bar, an espresso bar, it's very important.
Yeah, yeah I actually, I, I, I love what you just said about managing your disappointment because I, I think, unfortunately, so many people think that people who are super into their coffee, um, maybe not to your level, Paul, because I think that you are a fringe character. You're, you're extremely fortunate. You, you walk, you work in the. You, not only do you work in the coffee industry, but you, you work in the top echelon of the coffee industry. You essentially mm. work with arguably one of the best espresso manufacturers in the world. Uh, espresso machine manufacturers in the world um so you you are in a in a niche of a niche uh which is Mm. fairly interesting but i think taking myself as an extrapolated example um you know so many people think that people who are into their coffee wouldn't be caught dead in somewhere like a starbucks or something like that you know and i think (laughs) I, i think to kind of for me to counteract that that image of snobbery is to manage your disappointment is to say that hey am i going to be going to this place for a great coffee or am i going this place to enjoy some uh, some conversation with some friends or something like that because it's convenient yeah yeah um that's a very good point and um it's it's obviously you have uh consumers that are looking for a place to work from or maybe meet up with friends um or you know you may be looking have a group of friends that are really into coffee and you know you would sort out those those uh those higher quality establishments and um, you know I, I would say specialty coffee isn't for everybody um, but when they try it they do sort of um and ah over it and maybe they do have a little bit of uh, I think it's a little bit pretentious at times because they may not understand or have the benchmark to understand the reference point that you're using um, but it's the same with taste with everything um, you know taste is very you know subjective and um you know you you can only learn from learning someone who can you know really taste what they're tasting and and that's what i say to people actually if they really want to learn about taste um you know they they just go go to a cupping session in a cafe and 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 cup with baristas and you know you will find you will build that database of of terminology in there um in fact everybody can taste um but they, they, they may not may, you know, have that je ne sais quoi that they don't know how to describe. And, and that's what I mean by database. You know, if someone says to you, oh, I can taste you know, caramel in here, and then you're thinking caramel, and you're like, oh, actually, I can taste caramel, but it's like, it's like a salted caramel. But yeah. for you, you've already built that database in there associating that flavor with uh, salted caramel. Um, the fact that you may be pointing out that it's salty is, 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 is a bonus, right? Uh, but you know you have different flavors of caramel and to be able to identify it and start building that database that's the start um chocolate is a good example Hmm. um chocolate and you know you have dark chocolate baker's chocolate all the way up to milk chocolate and um coffee has all those variety of chocolate flavors in there um and um you know i i I often say to people if you want to taste try taste the chocolate and and pinpoint what type of chocolate it is Hmm. Uh, and you you will slowly learn and slowly pick up and 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 yeah, you'll really find more enjoyment tasting it rather than sort of scratching your head and going, I can't taste that, you know, and uh, um, and sort of brush it off as being pretentious. Yeah, yeah I think I, one thing that I, I I learned fairly recently, and by the way, Paul, I, th- I think something might be brushing up against your microphone. Um, oh, okay. Uh, and it's causing this Possibly, kind of, yes. yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah anyway. Um, I, th- I think one thing that I learned recently, the guys, at, the guy at Rock uh, Coffee, um, Patrick Hunt, he recently told me he gave me this perfect example where he said, like, when people see on a, on a packet where it says taste of cherry or plum, 
and they drink it and they think this is nothing like cherry or plum <laughs> and he used a perfect example of the wine industry where when you say that something tastes of cherry you're not saying it tastes of cherry you're saying it has sour elements of a cherry you know or yes, it has tangy yes. elements of a plum or it has the that's richness right, yes. of, a, of a juiced fruit or something like that and I think that's something yeah. that I think maybe education is 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 what's needed to provide reference points. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, you, you, you'll be amazed at um, you know how many people sometimes can't differentiate chicken and and pork. Um, but you know it's 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 a question of have they really thought about what they're tasting and and you know put a reference point in their brain of what it is um, and. I, I, I think I've, in, in hindsight, I think I've overlooked this point a lot in my career in that, you know, uh, my dad was a chef and, um, you know, I used to hang around with him when I was little because, you know, we, we had our own business Amazing. and, you know, I would just spend time with my dad just to spend time with him, you know, in, mm. in the kitchen and, you know, he'd give me things to taste and, and um, he really sort of uh, honed my taste um, subliminally, of course, you know, uh, we'd go out for meals and, and, I'd love this flavor and dad would be like, Oh no, that's, that's not very nice. You know? And, and he, he'd be mm. literally training my palate. Um, from a very and, young and age. As I grew up from a very young age. Yes. And, um, he was big into his Chinese teas and, and things like that. So, oh my goodness. um, I think I've been very lucky in, in, in having someone to mentor me, but not, not actually knowing. Mm. So it was actually a very pleasant experience learning about flavor and, and, and all this and that as I was growing up. Um, and then, you know, seeing my dad, you know, running his own business, um, how he operated and things like that, um, really tied into my, my career later on in when I took over a bit of operations. Um, so I, I basically started from barista, uh, to trainer, to store manager, and then to operations. Sure. Um, I, th so I think this would probably the, be a really good time to to take an opportunity to maybe just introduce yourself. Um, sure, to, yeah, yeah, because yeah. we can definitely get <laughs> lost in the conversation. This is so yes, interesting. For sure, for sure. Um, so, yeah, um, so I, I believe I started um, on, on my career in coffee in, in 2011, as I mentioned, and uh, I started from the bottom and um, I was very lucky in joining a Kiwi company um, that just started out in Hong Kong. And they just won the uh, Time Out uh, Best Cafe um, that year. And wow. so they started to make a name of themselves. And um, at that point in Hong Kong, I would say there was three different coffee shops that was doing truly specialty coffee. Um, move on to now and you're seeing, you know, uh, coffee saturation. Um, you know, you, you're getting coffee places opening next door to people um, because that's become known as the area to go for coffee. And wow. it's really become a, a, a saturated market to a certain extent. Um, but because Hong Kong is so, so population dense, um, everyone's got a fair market share to, you know, so mm. everyone can survive. And um, uh, so I joined this company and they're a Kiwi company. They roast all their coffee in New Zealand. And um, both of them had a Q grading. So they were tasting coffee the same. So... I learned from the CEO at the time who was cooking the coffee uh, and then I took over the reins cuising the coffee uh, that was all all the coffee that was coming into Hong Kong so we had I believe four stores at the time and you know each store was getting over a hundred kilos of coffee uh, a week so 
I was cupping over 400 to a half a ton's worth of coffee uh, every week, week or two. And uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, so when, so I, I'd go around each store Tuesday, Wednesday uh, after the shipments arrived and I'd be literally cupping for three, four hours of the day and move on to the next store. And, yeah, it was God. pretty intense. Um, and I, I was just cupping for flavor profiles. So, you know, um, flavor profiles being that, you know, coffee is a fruit. So mm. we served flavor profiles. We had two different blends. And um, in order to uh, continue consistency, um, we had to source and roast other beans to the same flavor profile. Um, So it sounds a bit of a mouthful, um, but the the way I like to describe it is like honey. Um, Obviously, honey is only harvested once a year. um, But how do uh, branded honeys keep that same flavor that you like and will repeat by? And uh, what they actually do is they, they save a portion of the honey from last year and they reintegrate it with next year's harvest. Is that right? Um, yeah, yeah. So that's how you get similar flavors and you can't really distinguish between batch to batch. Um, it's a similar method what we did, but what we did was we sourced beans from different origins and uh, noticed the, the, the uh, uh, predominant flavor that was coming out and roasted it to that flavor and blended it into a blend. Right. So, you know, this blend would change maybe two or three times a year, depending on how much how much stock of the bean we'd have. And, um, in, you know, looking back now, it's 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 pretty amazing because I don't believe anyone is doing quality control for flavor profile to that extent in the world. Um, a lot of people uh, will have a blend, but it, it does change in certain flavors um, a lot. So, you know, you significantly you might find so you're totally right. Significantly change, yes. And even if it's the same bean, um, 30 seconds, 45 seconds extra in the roasting will change the flavor to that. So, these are the things that I was looking out for. You know, was, the, was it roasted too long? Has it changed the profile? If it did, I would reject, you know, 25 kgs of coffee. Wow. And um, yeah, it was very. Um, fine dining sort of type you know if it yeah it sounds like uh, you, you guys sound like the michelin star wasteful. of coffee it was very wasteful and um i think we could have made a lot more money if we didn't do that mm. uh, but um my uh, my boss at the time was very adamant on quality and, and building a name that way and um i think part and part it worked um I don't think we could have done the price increases without the quality control that we had. Sure. And um, yeah, uh, it went through all down to, you know, storage, to training, to the hardware. Um, so everything was in, uh, in, in, in a working relationship with everything. You know, if you took that recipe that we were using and used it with another blend, you, you wouldn't get the same things. And uh, I'm with you. that goes to true with, uh, you know, the preparation that we did too. Um, but that I, I learned so much in terms of you know coffee quality, how to keep it uh, through the maintenance of your hardware, um, even you know your burrs. Um, a mm. lot of people don't realize that burrs will blunt, and um, you know we were changing burr sets every two three months. No um, way! <laughs> it was crazy. It was very crazy. My goodness. Um, it, it's in part, I think, um, implementing and finding that schedule when to change also taught me a lot on pub prep, um, which is kind of what this topic is, is about. And um, so as your burrs blunt, um, you know, you find it's getting more coarse and you're getting 
to a certain extent less fines. Um, and the, the only way to counteract those blunt bursts was to was basically tamp harder. And we were tamping 20, 25 kgs. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it was pretty heavy. I mean, you know, I was I was teaching people to, you know, center of gravity, lean your body in, don't sure. use your muscles, use your body yep. weight. Um, because, you know, if you're tamping 200, 300 times a day, you're going to do yourself some damage. So Carpal tunnel um, all day, every day, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so uh, technique was very important. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was very interesting. Um, so, you know, we, we'd use things like uh, nutation. So we'd have okay. like a tamper and we'd, we'd nutate it around one, one pivot point. And this would basically give us the hardest tamp we, we discovered. Um, and I think it was probably close to 30, 35 kg. My um, God. Uh, um, but we have to bear in mind that we probably ran like 50,000 shots through these burrs and, and, you know, we couldn't get them out. The screw was kind of too tight. And uh, so that's a, that's a good tip. Don't tighten your screws in your grinders <laughs> too tight because you eventually have to get them out. And uh, yeah, we, um, I think we ended up getting like a power drill, a high torque power drill to get it out. And uh, it You're kidding. Crazy. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. My God. So you were um, you were you were kind of doing this this crazy QC with this Kiwi company, and what 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 happened after that? Where did your career go? Um, so after that, I moved into uh, more of business development and more commercial mm. side. Um, so we set up um, like co workspace uh, bars, like for WeWork. Um, so WeWork we nice. was one of our big customers, and we, you know we help fit out their bars and you know got their blend in and things like that. Uh, train some of their guys. And, um, yeah, we were basically providing uh, commercial offices or co-work space or, you know, even uh, independent cafes with blends. Um, touching, kind of touching on white label roasting as well. Okay. Um, so, you know, I'd go around consult uh, people, what their preferences were, what were they looking for in terms of a blend. And more often not talking about the budget as well. Um, the budget of the coffee beans is, is quite a big topic. And, really? Uh, yeah, I think it's a, a lot of people have uh, this idea of they want to have really good quality coffee and, you know, they may not realize how much cost it will be to them. Um, I, I, I've worked with some airlines before and, you know, airlines are all about costs. And uh, it was a very interesting uh, case because, you know, we had to go research uh, how water boiled in in the air and obviously the different pressure reduces the of course. Know, temperature so we had to supply a bean that was uh, that they could brew in in the air uh, but even after all that research and r&d and input that we put in you know the, the ending conversation was you know your beans are too expensive can you get something oh a quarter of the price and, and i just kind of went Oh, you know, um, I understand where you're coming from, but I, I don't think it's it's possible with the range that we have. And I, I, I don't think you understand. <laughs> <laughs> it was very eye-opening, and um, so I like to say now, you know, is it is it a coffee to drink or is it coffee to to essentially uh, make money from? Um, and you know, very rarely do you find uh, people that. That really embrace the coffee and and really you know can make a business out of a high quality, um, and that, that's where I think the vibe comes in and you know service your environment um, and you know some places maybe a cocktail bar at night or you know it, it, they could run events and things like that. 
Um, they're basically subsidizing their coffee business because they cannot run it uh, as they would like to. Um, so that was very eye-opening for me, you know, seeing seeing how businesses and coffee can operate with their budgets. Mm. Um, I think it's probably exacerbated in Hong Kong in that the government puts a lot of bureaucracy in what you can put into your store. Um, so it's not uncommon for, like, cafes to have uh, kitchens. Um, but in Hong Kong, to have kitchen, you have to have a certain fan extractor and things like that. And you, you're very limited on the equipment that you can buy. So it's actually, you know, more expensive to have a cafe with a kitchen uh, than it is just a just a you know uh, build a build house a bar, which we all know is very expensive anyway. Yeah. Uh, because of your espresso machine, your grinder, and your you know your, your general interior decoration. Hmm. Um, so you know, even if cafes wanted to subsidize with food in Hong Kong, it's it's also a big cost for them. Um, so yeah, it's it's. It's pretty difficult when you, you're trying to introduce great coffee and money's the issue. Um, but um, I guess that's the way a lot of businesses are run is, is by the numbers. Um, but what is good about Hong Kong is that the quality of coffee in Hong Kong in the last five years has, has shot up. Really? And I've been very impressed. Yes, I've been very impressed. I mean, I think it's boiled down to a lot of the, the sort of celebrity type baristas that have come out of Hong Kong. Okay. Um, they've participated in the WBC and it's created a lot of local interest uh, in higher quality coffee. So, I, I wonder when you, yeah. when, you, when you kind of moved into Hong Kong in 2011 and you'd obviously understood different coffee cultures and whatnot, what was, were you, was, it, was it a bit of a shock for the coffee culture in Hong Kong? And, 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 and if it was, what, what, what is the coffee culture in Hong Kong like? And also, Paul, Coffee I think your, your mic is uh, rubbing again. Oh, sorry. I'm very sorry. Um, that's fine. Um, no worries. Coffee culture in Hong Kong is... Um, if you ever come to Hong Kong, I don't know if you've ever been to Hong Kong. I haven't, no. Um, but I've, I've got so many friends who are from Hong Kong. Yes. Um, I, I love this place. And the, one of the reasons why I love it is, is no matter what you're looking for, urban, hiking, or, you know, going somewhere close in Southeast Asia... Mm. Um, you can't really be in a better place. Maybe you could consider Singapore too. Mm. Um, but one of the things here is that um, everywhere is doing, everyone is doing something and everyone is going from A to B. So the coffee culture in Hong Kong, uh, apart from weekends, is, is very, um, very business orientated. Okay. So you have a lot of people meeting up for business meetings, um, part in part because Hong Kong's got a, not got a lot of space, so space is a premium. Um, so office spaces, actually, a lot of them don't have meeting rooms. Whoa! Um, they actually okay. come down to cafes to to hold meetings, and um, so that's the uh, uh, a big side of the coffee in Hong Kong. And then you have the other side, which is you know the more independent side. Um, you know, people will travel halfway across Hong Kong to go, go for a hand brew. And the reason they'll do that is, is, you know, they've spent all week working. Maybe they're on a six-day week. Um, mm. Some people work six days here. It's quite long, laborious My hours. My goodness. Um, and uh, they really enjoy the weekend. So one day will be with their family, uh, and then the next day they'll, they'll probably go out hiking, or, or if their coffee's their thing, they'll go out and spend the afternoon drinking coffee, uh, mm. maybe go out for lunch. So. Um, 
So coffee is quite big in Hong Kong. Um, I wouldn't say it's as big as, let's say, Australia, where you know it's five to eight cups per person. It's probably more like three to four. Sure. Um, but for sure, it's it's definitely uh, spiraled in the last few years. Um, but it's it's definitely more sort of um, I'm going there for a meeting or I'm going there to meet someone rather than I'm going there to maybe sit down and read a book during the weird week or something like that. It's it's a little bit different in that way. Um, it sounds like it's, it sounds uh, like that the coffee culture is a bit more thoughtful, uh, but because time and space is at a premium, uh, it, that's what it sounds like yeah. to me anyway. Particularly if you've got those six yes. day weeks, if you're going out yeah. to spend time in a cafe and to have coffee you know, you really want it to be meaningful time. Yes, exactly. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think a lot, a lot of Hong Kong people, are, uh, when they like something, they, they become creatures of habit. And, mm. and that's what I mean by the, the coffee industry has really taken hold. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like that uh, after meal dessert, but it's kind of, you know, you're after lunch, we'll go for a coffee sort of thing. Um, less so in the evenings. The evenings is not, not so popular. Um, it's more of the sort of bars and cocktail bars that they turn into at night. Um, Interesting. But for sure, it's definitely a lot different than, let's say, your cafe in England where, you know, the pace is a lot slower. Um, people will probably um, maybe go for, you know, mull over one and have another one straight away. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I really enjoy when I go to when I go back to England and, 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 and have a tour around. It's, it's definitely one of the things I do. Um, in fact, I was just mentioning the other day that you know, my, my partner, every time we go on holiday, she, she almost expects now that one or two days we're going coffee touring and we'll go <laughs> somewhere that no one else goes to just to find these coffee shops. Amazing. And, um, and I, I love it because, you know, you get to see the local preferences and how they do mm. things. And, and, and it gives me inspiration too to, you know, explore other ways. Um, especially in Europe and America, I found it fascinating. Um, the taste differences between Europe and America and Asia are really quite different. And I never right? expected so? it to be. Um, I, I would say like America, their, uh, their taste buds are a, lot, a little bit more heavier, so they like their coffee stronger. Mm. Um, I think the best analogy I could give is that they love their filter coffee. Um, and that shows in their pour overs. Their pour overs are generally quite close to their uh, sort of uh, sort of bun type sort of filter coffee styles. Okay. Um, when you come to Asia, um, they're a lot more refreshing, um, tea like. Uh, I would say it would probably be more like similar to the geishas that you you drank the other day. Um, and a lot of them are lo along that style. Unbelievable. And I think that part is because. I think Southeast Asia is the number one buyer of geisha in the world. Are you I think kidding Japan, me? J Japan buys the most, yes. Uh, Japan, Singapore, and Korea are always in the uh, auction lots. And I'm like, I'm oh, just like, wow, how much These guys, coffee do you yeah. in your country buy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really interesting because I was having a, um, uh, a, a, a great friend of mine. I did an interview with him uh, yesterday, which, uh, Amir Gill from Difference Coffee. And okay, yes, um, yes. Uh, and he was very kind and uh, and made an e email introduction uh, to me and Rachel Peterson, um, uh, part of the fam, the Peterson family that own Hacienda La Esmeralda. Oh right, yes, yes, yeah, um, fantastic. So I'm going to be having a conversation with her next week, 
um, about oh, potentially awesome. doing an episode all about the history of Hacienda La Esmeralda and you know how how the what what it looks like on a day to day basis with them and how they how they're able to create these award winning coffees you know year on year. Yeah. So I think oh, it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I'll definitely be tuning in for that, Omar. <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be fun. It really is. But I I wonder. Paul, when you when you kind of before we kind of uh, talk about what we're meant to talk about, because you're just such an interesting guy, you're, you're getting all these different <laughs> ideas in my head. When you when you go with your partner on these uh, on these coffee tours, and I, if I was to ask you to kind of cast your mind back for a moment and think about one time which gave you real inspiration and maybe maybe and really opened your eyes, what what was that experience? Um, when I went to Ho Minh Tin in Vietnam. Um, I've never been so sensory overload um, from the amount of mopeds going around and walking across the road with my hands up in the air and um, <laughs> trying to find these cafes that, you know, just in a roundabout. Um, um, it was very, uh, it was a good experience and um, finally getting there, you know, it wasn't espresso based. It's all with the, uh, you know, the infamous uh, Vietnamese brewers. I don't know if, you, if you've seen no. one. Um, so it's, it's like a, it's like a little tin, uh, mm. and on the bottom, it has a mesh, very wide hold mesh. Okay. Uh, and on the top, it has a, a little sieve that sits on the top. And, um, so you put in about nine grams of coffee. Um, they don't even use commercial grinders. They use, they build their own grinders. Wow. Um, just out of whatever they can find. And I, I just love the the out of the box thinking, you know, you don't have to buy the best equipment to get great tasting coffee. Mm. Uh, and that really opened my eyes in that, okay, there's not just one way of making coffee, there is many other ways of making coffee. And what was eye opening for me was that, you know, you have this, when you learn to make coffee, you have this uh, concept of time, how much time is this shop being extracted? Um, what's the temperature? Uh, how fine is it going to be? And, you know, how that relates to uh, over-extracted flavors and things like that. So when I was watching this guy <laughs> grind it in this oversized, probably, it was probably like a four-horsepower motor. It was, it was <laughs> you know, incredibly ghetto. And, you know, it was on a belt-driven motor. and Unbelievable. You know, power was going everywhere, you know. It wasn't very... Um, consistent i would say sure. but uh you know he'd obviously done it so many times that he knew what he was doing and you know he got it in the little apparatus gave it a little temp of the thing and yeah and uh put it on a cup uh poured boiling hot water in there from a massive kettle wow. um it was just sitting there boiling it wasn't even you know on a temperature or anything just sitting there <laughs> boiling <laughs> he pours it over on here you know n none of this you know gently preview yeah it was just Poured it in there, about two ounces of water, and then he went, "Oh, here you go. I'll bring over a, 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 a nice jasmine tea as well." Whoa. And um, so, so I was like sitting there, going, "Okay." So I've just asked for a coffee. I didn't ask for what type. He didn't ask me which type. <laughs> I just sat down. <laughs> he just presents me with this thing, and I'm like, "Oh no, what am I going to do? This is going to taste awful." <laughs> and um, he comes back and uh, he brings me over my iced jasmine tea, and he said, "Oh, drink this while it cools down. It's going to take like seven to ten minutes to drip through." And I was looked at him, like, seven to ten minutes? Are you sure?" And, um, you know, I was like, oh, this is not going to be good. Um, so I was, you know, <laughs> sipping my iced jasmine tea. The iced jasmine tea was great, by the way. Really? Um, I don't know what they did with it. I, it tasted like they put honey in it, but mm. there was no honey in it. It was just the quality of the tea. Um, it was fantastic. 
And then, you know, the coffee was, was ready to go. I tried it, and I was blown away. Are you kidding you know, me? No, I was... No, I was... I was blown away. It, it was um, obviously it was a dark roast. It had spice. It had chocolate, um, but you know it was the spice was similar to like the aftertaste of chai. Um, okay. And yeah, so it had a lot of cloves, a lot of that kind pepper. of cardamomy, um, like clovey yes, kind of. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And um, I was blown away, and and I, I just had this aftertaste of licorice. And it went on and on and on and on. And I was, like, I was, just, I was like, how, how is this possible? It's a seven-minute <laughs> extraction. The, 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 the ground is finer than, you know, uh, I don't even know. Like a He slurry. ground it with a bloody motor, with a lawnmower engine. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And, um, and the ice jasmine tea complemented it so well. Are you kidding? Um, I don't know whether it was intent. No, it was. It was almost as if you know someone had paired it up on purpose, and 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 you know it was part of their you know barista competition routine. <laughs> um, it, it, it was. It I was. I was so shocked, and and ended up buying a, a Vietnamese dripper, buying some of their coffee, and, and and showing it to people in Hong Kong, and and it really sort of taught me how time is irrelevant. Um, pressure is irrelevant mm. as long as you know you get a cup that you enjoy. As long um, as it tastes so, good, you know, right? It, as long as it tastes good, there are parameters that you need to follow, um, and w- we can go into this later. Mm. Um, but like you know, if it's a classic Italian uh, shot, you know, mm. three three bar to nine bar, um, if you if you deviate from that, you're essentially not doing a, an Italian type shot, right? So so that is where the definitions come out. Um, but you know that Vietnamese coffee just threw all the definitions out of what coffee should be, and, and uh, yeah, and I actually went back to look into the how the dripper Vietnamese dripper worked um, to really understand the D1 um, okay. purely because the 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 dripper essentially gave a very low pressure uh, and resisted the uh, restricted the flow rate coming out, so it was very slow. Mm. Um, and this basically gave you a high TDS sort of brew, um, but without, you know, pressure. So it was using the high temperature to get all the flavors out, uh, the really fine grind to keep the flow rate low, uh, and then they just let it drip. And, sure. and, and I'm also guessing that they were using fairly dark roast as well, just to kind of really optimize yes. that extraction. That's right. Yeah. Uh, very dark roast. And, um, it actually worked well with lighter roasts. Um, mm. because um, of the long extraction and the flow rate is quite constant, um, you can get um, almost like AeroPress-type strength light roast drinks out of it. Wow. Um, so it's very interesting to bring it out if, you, if, you, if you're sort of scratching your head over a V60 brew. Um, more often than not, brewing in a Vietnamese dripper just gives you a cup that you can really enjoy. Um, the only downside is that it, it, it is very grainy. Um, because right. the hole size is very big, um, but um, you know you just leave a little bit at the bottom, and uh, you're you're okay. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, so you 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 kind of went through these really interesting steps within your career. You've almost experienced every level that that you possibly can. How did you end up at decent? Um, well, a uh, little bit unfortunate. My um, my mum got very ill. Um, so, you know, I took the, did the family thing and, and looked after her. Um, fortunately she had leukemia and early onsets of, uh, Alzheimer's. So, 
Um, I think I thought it was right time in my career to sort of, you know, step back and, and, and really focus with my family. Um, I think I was probably a little bit of a workaholic um, through sure. those years, um, literally running on caffeine. Um, and <laughs> um, But it was good to take a break from it. Um, I think I would have really burnt myself out if I would have carried any longer. And, um, and I wasn't actually actively looking at the time, but, um, you know, a friend just said, oh, um, decent espressos, you know, t- taking people on, you maybe want to check them out. And I just sent, sent John an email and I think it was the next week I had an interview and then the following wow. Monday I started work. So, wow. um, it was, it was all very fast and, um, yeah, I think I was, I was very lucky and, uh, yeah. Definitely lucky to be in this company. You know the the caliber of staff here and the the vibe and just the way we operate. Uh, I'm, I'm just loving it. So yeah, amazing. Yeah, but what do, what do they what do they say? Luck stands for labor under correct knowledge, right? So you know you make your own <laughs> luck. Um, and what <laughs> what's what's true. your what what's what's your what's your uh, what's your job at Decent? What do you currently do with them? Ah, so um, I help with uh, product development. Uh, also taking on a lot of the uh, emails and I have a weekly Zoom um, on any topic that uh, picks my interest at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very full on. Um, definitely got, had to get used to the pace. Mm. Um, I, I used to sort of, you know, you know, delegate a lot more and obviously this is a smaller company and, you know, it's, it's getting used to that pace again. But uh, yeah, the pace keeps it stimulating, which which is really exciting. Um, you know, as innovations go, you know, John's got full of ideas, and you know, we go explore those ideas and give them feedback, and you know, it's it's very stimulating environment. So, yeah, yeah, I think th- I think what what really because it seems as though that the company is a um, is 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 of almost like an anthrop- anthropomorphism of of uh, John himself right you know John is yes. this super crazy <laughs> creative guy he's super into coffee but he's into loads of other things as well yes, um, and yes. what he's doing essentially is he's amalgamating his interest in all these different things and you know I, I, I I've actually tuned in a couple of times to your zoom uh, classes they are they are ah. absolute yeah they are absolutely fascinating honestly I feel you 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 have this really really warm um uh, articulate way of of putting forward fairly complex information i think um right, right. you know when you're when you're kind of breaking down certain things during these uh, during these uh, I, I think i've tuned in through youtube sometimes um yes yeah yeah sometimes i think the zoom the zoom classes is uploaded to youtube sometimes afterwards yeah um, yeah that's right and you know, it, it's just your ability to be able to break down fairly complicated things that have probably taken a few years of R&D just to even work out that that's how you do it. Um, and <laughs> um, If I could just interject there, I think it's not really my skills. It's kind of like I've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> and, sure. And, you know, people have either directed me of my mistakes and, you know, it's kind of learning from them. Um, I, I, I don't think it's kind of, you know, I've just got there and, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Uma. No, 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 uh, please, please. Um, um, oh, sorry. I've just lost my train of thought. No, 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 no uh, worries. But yeah, you're, 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 you're totally right though. And I, th- I think it's the ability to be able to, and, and that's what I think is so, is so interesting is that John has been able to build this great team of people 
who recognize what they know and recognize what they don't know and are ultra motivated to work out what they uh, to work out solutions for the things that they don't know which is why you've been able yes. to yeah and I, I think that's a really great yeah. thing and that that's one thing that i appreciate with tech in general you know uh, like going from the finance in industry into tech myself personally it's gone from mm -hmm. people who 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 their worst nightmare is being told that they're wrong uh, to now a crowd of people who they they hope that they're wrong in the hopes that they'll make a better solution or make a better product yeah yeah um I, and and i think it's um part in what uh, i would say john strength is he, he he really looks into identifying your strengths and and works to work with your strengths and i i, I, I I think that's really admirable of him rather than, you know, finding someone to fill a specific role. Um, he, he really wants you to enjoy what you're doing. And, and that's really refreshing, um, you know, to see someone who, who wants to build a company in that way. It's not just a job. He also wants to have fun as well. And, and you're right. You know, John has got so many ideas. He has so many interests. Um, but in reality, he's just having fun, and, yeah. and I think we're just along with the ride, and 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 we all feed off that, and uh, yeah, I think that's that's part of the enjoyment uh, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so the 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 reason why we're, we're we're kind of talking today, and I'm I'm so grateful that we are, is I was having a a WhatsApp conversation with John uh, probably about a week ago, and um, I've been slowly kind of step by step uh, exploring espresso deeper and deeper and deeper my my first uh, love of coffee obviously as most I think either comes through filter or mocha pot I think are probably the two nice, yes. ways that people tend to get into making coffee at home nowadays it's probably yeah. the Nespresso machine uh, the Nespresso machine um, yeah. but um, you know I got into filter I, I really enjoyed it and I really wanted that kind of romantic idea of pulling a shot at home um, <laughs> and sitting there with my little espresso cup and maybe maybe reading my Kindle or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was like, you know what, I need to get into this. And the first thing that I was told is don't. Uh, so, <laughs> you know... <laughs> um, uh, and, and obviously, you know, when someone tells me not to do something, it makes me want to do it. Uh, so I was like, hmm, let me see how this works. So... I've kind of been getting into it now and I've been I've been practicing for about a year and a half, I would say, in making espresso at home. Um, okay. And I've obviously had the benefit of the podcast where I ca where I, I'm able to talk to people like yourself and John and and, and yeah. Douglas and, and, and so many other um, Douglas Weber and so many other uh, specialists where I'm able to get information. And, and the one thing that's that seems to be a bit of a plateau for me and something that seems to be a plateau for a lot of my audience is you go out, you get these beautiful beans, right? You spend good money on these beautiful beans. Uh, yeah. If you've got a, a Weber grinder, uh, then, you know, you've probably had to remortgage your house and <laughs> you've, got, uh, you've, you've, you've got this beautiful grinder. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you've, you've got this beautiful grinder and, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a DE1, then you've probably, you know, sold your left leg and, and, and now, <laughs> now you're on... Now you're now you're on crutches, right. unfortunately, and you've got this you've got this beautiful you've got this beautiful setup. But unfortunately, what I find is after after having beautiful equipment, uh, I still have inconsistencies from shot to shot. Uh, even though yeah. I'm managing yeah. my grind size, I am 
using a calibrated tamper. You know, I'm 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 doing these things. Um, now, to be honest, the calibrated tamper is not something I use all the time, but um, I am trying to manage all these variables. But yet, I have these great extraction inconsistencies from puck to puck, right. and that is shown through the bottom of my yes, of my yes. porter filter. Um, and I thought, you know what, uh, this 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 it, this is a problem. Uh, I'm I'm having serious issues here. Uh, I need to yeah, talk to someone. Yeah. So John said, listen, um, rather than talking to me about it, why don't I introduce you to Paul? Um, <laughs> uh, Paul, Paul is the man to talk to. So I said, uh, hell yeah, let's do it. Uh, so essentially... You know, my... you know, he didn't prime me for this, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was just... Was just he like, just made the what? group, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Because I, I, I knew, Let's roll with it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I knew that he hadn't primed you when the first message that you sent is, hey, Omar, if there's anything I can help you with, just feel free. And I was like, John hasn't told him about anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I actually thought he was introducing someone to do some one-on-one with, like they, they've got yeah. a problem with their DUR or something. And, uh, yeah, so <laughs> it was a pleasant surprise, actually. <laughs> and then I think I just sent you a message saying, hey, Paul, I'm looking at getting you on the show. Um, let's have a chat. And you were like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah. So literally after that, I went into John's office and I went, uh, WTF. What's going on? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> oh, by the way, yeah, you're uh, going on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. The conversation. <laughs> but, um, uh, but, but yeah, yeah it's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's one of those things which is, it's it's absolutely mind-boggling, and I'd I'd love to kind of start from 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 class one hundred and one with you, and just say, you know, I I think it's a big part of puck prep personally because there's a lot of other there's a lot of big things that I'm managing quite well, but it seems yeah. as though that when I don't puck my prep in the right way, or maybe I'm not even prepping it in the right way to begin with, uh, uh-huh. I do have this. I can count on one hand how many times I've seen the extraction start from everywhere on the bottom of the porter filter. Uh, and I have okay, pulled, I would say, 700 shots, I would say. Okay. And I've probably yeah, had yeah. about 10 shots which have uh, started from everywhere. Otherwise, 95% of all my shots are donut extractions. They're extracting from the very right, edges right. first. Okay. So what, what's, what's going on, Paul? What, what, what's happening before, before I kill myself? So um, let's start with like uh, puck prep. What is puck prep? It's essentially any technique, any part of your recipe that you need to do before you, you, you go for an extraction, right? So, um, so whether it be, you know, your dose, uh, your ratio, uh, or, or your actual temp, or the things you do in between those points uh, will affect your, your extraction. Mm. And it sounds very vague, but it's also very large portion of details that you have to cover um, but what I would say is the majority of the errors is within the tamping area uh, okay. less so on dose because most people you know use a scale these days hmm. um, you know most people generally know how to find their grind or know when it's out and um, so a lot of them um, a lot of the errors is, is actually handling the ground powder to tamping to engaging the portafilter in the uh, in the group head, 
And um, so let's break it down, like from uh, handling the powder, um, simple is always better. Um, okay. Through my tastings um, and it, just in terms of speed, um, not using, um, you know, grooming the top, uh, not using puck rake, um, just simple palm distribution and then a, a table tap. Um, personally, I found is the best compromise between time, quality and consistency. Okay. Um, it's something about that simplicity in not doing too much. Um, and, you know, if you're not doing too much, there is less chance of you going wrong. Yeah, you're restricting okay. the variables to, 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 to fail, essentially. That's it. That's exactly it. So where are your variables that you're going to fail if you're keeping it simple is, you know, your grinder, is it clumping up? Um, do you have a mound uh, or are you tamping straight? And, and those are the variables you, you will black and white look at if, if that was your routine. But when you come to over, you know, doing extra things to gain more uh, puck integrity, maybe because you're using lighter roasts, you know, you want that, um, you know, that puck to really sort of withhold the extraction. Mm. Um, they will tend to sort of groom the puck more, maybe, maybe even use distributors, you know, like the OCD, which... Sure. Is that Actually, the one with the know, uh, propeller kind of thing on the bottom? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It looks like a disc. They put it yeah. on, spin it one way, and then they spin it the other. Um, that is a good example of doing too much to your puck. Mm. Um, and the reasons behind you're doing too much is actually you're compressing and recompressing your grounds within your, within your basket, but you can't actually see it. But when you take off the OCD, it looks beautiful, right? You know, great piece of kit to start tamping on. And, uh, but all the, all the defects and all the, uh, well, not defects, but the, all the errors that you've produced in making that puck has already happened and you just can't see it. So if you had like a, a see-through basket, you would see denser pockets in certain areas and then not so dense in the others. So yeah, we I guess could that makes sense. Is that... presume. Yeah, it makes sense yeah. because where you've got this propeller uh, kind of shape, which I, I, from my memory, is three-pronged, right? Uh, yes, where, yes, where you're yes. pushing it down, I'm guessing it's compressing more at those uh, deeper points, regardless of That's whether right. you're spinning it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So those deeper points are always going to be compressed more than the other parts. Uh, mm. And then certain parts, as you're turning, will obviously you know, compress even more. Um, so those types of preparations will create uh, not as even. There's a potential to become even, you know, depending on your dose. You know, if you've underdosed slightly, you know, you've got more room for expansion. Um, but um, more often than not, um, using those types of distributors uh, will, will, will cause your puck to not extract as well as, mm. you know, as simply as tapping, table tap, tap. Um, and, and that's really quite fascinating, right? Because you would expect that, oh, I'm preparing my puck more, um, it should be better. Mm. Um, but the fact is that it's not. Um, whether it's due to the compression or you're, you know, you're messing with the homogenous gr uh, distribution of the grounds, you know, maybe you're spinning and creating more fines to go to the bottom. Uh, we, we don't know. But um, we can plainly see that the extractions with those type of uh, distributors is not as nice as, you know, a simple... Uh, palm distribution tap on the table tap. My and, God. Um, My God. Okay. So we, 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 we throw, throw the distributor away then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it has its uses for sure. Yeah. You know, um, 
I would say having one and using a manual tamper, you know, manual tamper like this, yep. um, would would help you to a certain point. But after you know you've honed your skills a little bit more, you find that you can do better without it. Um, okay. And 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 that's what you'll discover. Um, so like you know, I, I started on something like this, which is you know the manual tampers. Yep. And um, as we all know, if we if we don't tamp straight, if we tamp in at an angle, mm. uh, this portion of the puck will be compressed more, uh, which is the deeper part of the tamper, and this uh, higher portion of the tamper will be compressed less. Okay. So water travels at the path of least resistance. So because this is more denser here, it will always travel down this side. So that's okay. where what's happening if you have a slanted tamp. So I've, uh, I've actually seen that on, on a few occasions where I do tamp with a traditional tamper. I feel as though that I'm tamping level. However, I almost get a one-sided extraction on the bottom of the portafilter. Yes. So that's, that's probably oh. what's going on. Okay. Um, I'm curious, is it closer to your thumb or away from your thumb? slant um it is over my thumb over uh, your so thumb. okay yeah so it's over my thumb yeah so so if you're holding it like uh, i'm not sure how you're holding it but if, if the slant is on this side right where yes correct the pressure. yes okay so what might help you is actually uh, finding your center of balance where you're standing okay and si stand with your uh let's say if you're right-handed stand with your right foot uh parallel to the table Okay, and you want your uh, your right foot to be able, oops, and you want your right foot to be able to balance um, off the floor. Okay, okay. when you're tamping. Okay, so your center point is your leg, and the, your other temporary leg is your tamper and your hand. Ah. Okay, and you'll find that because you centered your body, your tamping will become much straighter, and because of the way you stand your uh, your posture will be able to view as well uh, what your temper is doing. So you can make minute adjustments as you go. Um, other things that may help is um, resting the temper. Don't actually tamp, but mm. you know if you have your portafilter here, just actually letting it rest in there and the weight of the temper just sits. Okay, And you'll find you'll be able to run your finger along the sides and discover which is higher and which is not. And you can make minute adjustments there. Uh, but with when you're making minute adjustments, your likelihood of donut extractions will be more. Okay, so we're going okay. on why you're getting donut extractions. Okay, so if you imagine now that uh, I have powder in here, okay, and I'm pushing, mm. I'm pushing closer to this side where my thumb was. So I want to push this side. What you're creating now is a mound in the middle. Ah. Okay. Can you can you imagine? So if if this is your powder in the middle. And, yes. and you know you, you you've tamped this side. If you want to push it this side, then you're just creating that mound even more. Understood. Okay. So um, that could be possibly why you're consistently getting donut extractions. Like um, you may be entering your temper and maybe wiggling a little bit, or maybe doing your polish if you polish. I do. Uh, I, that was going to be my next question. Is that is is uh, is that a good idea to to polish? I I see kind of barista experts do that all the time, and I I think it's a pretty cool thing to do. But is that also hurting my my tamping performance? Um, if let's say you may have experienced when you put your tamper in and it gets stuck. Okay, maybe mm. grounds have gone up the sides. Maybe you tamp too quickly, and you know you you push the grounds up the sides. Okay, so if you get used to sort of placing your tamper in there, 
and letting it rest. Maybe you've got a, a calibrated tamper with a, with a leveling plate. You can let it rest on the leveling plate. Sure. Um, try this technique, okay? Put it in, let it rest. Try to make sure it's straight or evaluate without moving it and then lift out your tamper, okay? What you will find is the grounds along the outside of the basket, okay, that stick onto here, have an opportunity to fall back into the cake. Okay? Ah. And then the grounds around the outside of your tamper also have an opportunity to fall back in. Okay? So when you come to actually do your uh, full pressure tamp, you will discover this is a lot more movable and your spin will be a lot more free because you've not got that restriction of grounds around the outside. Okay? So this will actually help with your donut extractions, Omar. Um, because as you spin, if you're spinning and it's not spinning, you'll, you'll want to drill in there and, and drill it at an angle um, and creating that mound in the middle again. Okay? So that's exactly my what is, I'm doing. Yeah, that's exactly what yeah, I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, your, 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 your goal is place it in, lift it out, have a look, put it back in, spin, and then tamp. Okay? And you'll okay. find that that compression there, because you spinned it, You've essentially, you know, made as flat as a possible surface for your tamp, okay? Um, you've begun the sealing process, which is the whole point of tamping. Um, so, you know, you don't actually need a lot of pressure. It's like six pounds of pressure. So, actually, you've already okay. half-tamped your, your coffee just by the weight of your tamper, okay? And um, so, when you spin, you're essentially, you know, creating the flattest surface you can, and then you tamp on top of that. And you will find that that tamp, you'll feel you'll feel the difference, you'll feel it compress, and then all of a sudden have a slight resistance. Once you feel that slight resistance, that's it, okay? You can either take it out or spin it again and then take it out or whatever. Um, but it, I, I always find that that placement, lifting out, polish, and then tamp full strength is the most consistent way um, to create uh, high integrity pucks that last, you know, you can do a three to one, maybe even a five to one ratio. Um, and the, the, that technique should help you a lot. <laughs> amazing, amazing, yeah, that, amazing. Yeah. I was, I was. Uh, one question that I do get asked fairly regularly is that: is there such a thing as over tamping, as as tamping too hard? Yes, um, you can tamp too hard, but the danger is, is not. Is it worse to over tamp or under tamp? I think it was worse to under tamp to a certain mm. extent, but. Over-tamping is quite difficult because you actually have to exert a lot of pressure. Um, but the major danger with over-tamping is, like, let's say if you, if you exerted a lot of power but it was straight, you wouldn't have an issue. But a lot of people, uh, they don't consistently tamp straight. So if they over-tamp, the fear is that they will create a hairline crack uh, in their puck. So uh, over-tamping can... You can do it, but a lot of people can't do it consistently, and I think that's that's the issue here. Uh, I'm just going to show you a uh, I'm going to show you a little picture, uh, John, because you just reminded me of some, uh, sorry, not John, sorry, Paul. Um, when I, uh, sorry about that. When uh, so oh, that's okay. uh, when I when I first got my uh, my rock machine, uh, I decided mm. to pour a hundred shots on there before I made an episode. Um, wow, good on and, you. Yeah, and every every single uh, shot that I poured, I took I took pictures and ah. notes on every single shot. Okay, yeah. Um, and so I got stuff like like this. I don't know if you can see. 
Ah, yes. So you've got a crack right in the middle. Okay. So that could be something like uh, your tamper was wet, and when you removed your tamper, uh, you had coffee grounds stuck to it, maybe? Do you ever have that situation? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. There's, there's another more serious. Yes. Okay. So, um, so what may be happening if, if you're tamping with a wet tamper, um, that, that little droplet of water uh, will stick to some grounds and create a small, tiny, tiny little divot that sometimes you can't see with your eye. Um, yeah. Uh, this one's actually okay. a bit weird because this particular one has got a very small kind of dip uh, ah, in the middle okay. of the puck, which is which is uh, right. Uh, something that I that I that I have found when I first started. I don't find that anymore, but when I first started, I right. found that the middle of the puck would sink down ever so slightly. Hmm. Um, did uh, were you using the same tampers for these, or were you yeah, same also experimenting? Ah, same tamper. Um, was it was it a non-calibrated, non-leveling. Non okay. uh, I've, I've never actually used a leveling tamper before, um, ah, but it's definitely something right. that I, I need to look into. Um, I would... Uh, this is... A, I've got one right here. Okay, so this is a leveling tamper that we do. Oh, fancy. Um, and, yeah, and it's... Uh, so this is the resting plate that I mentioned uh, that you could just lean it on, okay, when you're tamping. And um, this leveling plate... I, I initially was reluctant to use, um, I think a little bit of snobbery on my part, but, um, you know, I felt like it was taking away my craft a little bit, <laughs> but <laughs> it was mitigating your skill, your, 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 your skill, was it? That's right. Um, but, um, what I love about it is it, it just gives you peace of mind. Mm. Um, we've already got enough to worry about in terms of puck prep and, and everything else. Uh, having that my, uh, ease of peace of mind when you know you, you making sure your your tamp is level is something else. And I found that my focus is able to focus on other things. Um, and um, yeah, my my extractions have consistently got a lot better. Um, but why am I sort of asking about this is because I, I feel that it's probably something to do with um, your tamping strength mm. and perhaps your grind being changed from day to day depending on, I don't know if it's the same coffee or... Uh, you are, you are or... right on the money actually. In, in these particular shots, this was very early on uh, when I got the machine, I was changing my, right. grind, my grind size uh, every single day to try and make sure that I was getting uh, the, the pressure right. Right. Okay. Um, the, the reason why I suspect that is because the finer you grind, the less coffee you seem to have in your basket. Mm. Okay. And um, the dip in your puck tells me that your headspace, headspace is the uh, distance between the coffee puck and the shower screen. Okay. So if your headspace is uh, quite large, um, you know, your, 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 your coffee machine will fill this headspace and, you know, you've essentially got a pool on the top. Hmm. So when you have a pool on the top, um, you've got this, you know, your coffee beds here, and you've got this sort of reservoir of water on the top before extraction starts. So during pre-infusion, you know, you've got this resting water on the top until it has time to seep all the way through. Um, if your grind is uh, finer and, um, you know, it's, it's a lot less in your basket, you tend to find these dipped-in uh, craters in your pucks. Um, mm. And more often than not, uh, they're a little bit more 
chocolatey if you're within your range um, as compared to if you were uh, updosed at the same grind setting it would be more cleaner uh, and mm. less chocolatey um, so it's not a bad thing um, to have pucks like that um, but it's it does give you clues into what is happening and what things you can change um, with your recipes and and that goes in with puck prep so you know you can, you now can identify that and go oh okay so my grind was quite fine there uh, maybe I could uh, updose it a little bit more to see if I can get a, a, a longer shot and maybe some more flavors out of it um, uh, that would be what I would be thinking straight away um, in terms of you know viewing that puck and, and seeing how I could improve it uh, but ultimately it does boil down to taste mm. um, I think a lot of users moving to the D1, for example, have issues with the way the puck looks because our headspace is actually a lot higher than a lot of other traditional machines. Um, but what it leads to is that um, the shots in the D1 are very efficient and um, you actually can, can use less coffee and save on coffee but get the similar type extraction than you would overdosing. Um, is that right? I believe we... Yeah, yeah. So it's it's all to do with the way the D1 pre-infuses and the flow rate it has. Um, you know, other people can do it um, by the way of baskets, um, changing their baskets to mm. manipulate the flow rate a little bit more. And um, in the past, you know, uh, that's how a lot of baristas did change their flavors coming out of the same machine. Um, unbeknowing to the barista, I think, um, but they were essentially changing the flow rates coming out of their machines, um, which is, uh, I only know that now coming to Decent. Uh, <laughs> so sure. it's very fascinating for me to find that out. Um, but yeah, it's a combination of your baskets and, and your headspace that really gives that efficiency of extractions. So uh, very eye-opening for me. Uh, but yeah, very interesting to see those pucks. Um, oh. Yeah. One of the one other thing that I noticed, and this is uh, this is without, uh, and one thing that I would like you to kind of talk about uh, in a minute is is uh, the usefulness of precision tools. So uh, uh, one thing I've been reading a lot about recently is uh, if you have a fifty eight uh, mil port filter, uh, which is the traditional, yeah. then getting a fifty eight point five uh, tamper is probably a good way to go, but. Again, I don't know if that's just coffee nerds talking about new equipment because they like shiny new equipment. I mean, we all do. Uh, um, yes, yes. But one thing that I used to do is because I wasn't using a precision tool, I would tamp and I would have this quite substantial uh, wall of coffee on the on the wall of the basket. So what I would do nice. is I would take the handle of the uh, of the tamper, give the side a bit of a tap. <laughs> <laughs> all of that coffee would jump down and I would tamp it over again, give it a polish. Okay. And okay. I, th I think we got problems there. So what, what's, what's the situation? Okay, so that, that um, can explain uh, a few things, actually. Um, so now I would actually lean the cracks in there from the tap of the handle <laughs> on your temper. Um, so this is, uh, this is quite a funny uh, little story that a lot of people... Um, because there's, there's not a lot of science behind some of the techniques we use mm. um, some people see techniques and then immediately imitate it because they believe yeah. it's, it, it will give them a better result 
Um, but this is one of those cases that um, if you really think about it, it doesn't really make sense. Mm. Um, one, because you've tamped your coffee already. Um, and once you tamp your coffee, it is very, very delicate. Um, I think I mentioned um, your errors going into uh, put prep is, you know, one being engaging the portafilter in the group head. Um, why did I say that is because a lot of people forget or waste all that time and effort that they've used to prepare and tamp this puck. And then either because they're in a busy environment or they think it looks cool, um, they, they try to put the porter filter in the machine as fast as they can. And, um, you know, in, in doing that, they may knock, they may tap the sides. And yes. um, what happens to the puck if that happens is that you can create a hairline fracture in your puck. Uh, it may be in the center, it may be on the bottom, sometimes on the top. Uh, more often than not, you cannot see this hairline crack. Right. Um, only when you take it out and you view uh, can you see uh, what has happened inside the puck. So um, one, I would advise to stop doing that. Okay. <laughs> um, I can reinforce that with, um, you should question yourself why you are doing that and have a look at um, how much coffee powder is around the outside. Um, if you're really curious to know, um, try weigh it, okay? Okay. You will find that that coffee around the outside is more than likely less than 0.1 of a gram, okay? So, so well, I'm so destroying <laughs> my entire puck because of 0.1 yeah, of a gram. Okay. Over, over 0.1 of a gram. So even if you do have that on the side, don't worry about it. Too okay. It's really not going to affect your extractions. Uh, and you are doing more harm uh, tapping the sides of your porta filter than just uh, leaving than, it, uh, than having it in there. So uh, that would be my advice. Um, you know, um, I've I've met a lot of baristas in my time who I've trained uh, that have had that uh, motion. So mm. you know, don't be don't don't feel like oh no, I've done something really bad. It's quite common to see this. So sure. uh, I just smile because it, it just it just makes me smile like hearing these yeah. things and, and and really sort of explaining it. And then they go. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, these are the sort of things that, um, you know, you can't really see someone doing unless, you know, you ask about it or someone is watching you and, and really giving you feedback. Um, and um, yeah, it's uh, hopefully that technique with lifting out that porter filter before mm. you actually tamp will help you with that for sure. Uh, and um, this was actually one of the things I learned from learning how to polish. Uh, and finding that if I had more area around the edge, um, I can polish better. Um, going back to your precision tools uh, yes. question, um, the precision tools came about um, purely because of the busy barista in a commercial environment and needing to perform put prep quickly. Hmm. And what they found was if they were tamping very quickly with a very precise tool, um, their puck can be sucked out due to negative pressure. So actually oh, having so it would a cause a vacuum. Gap, yes, that's right. So if you have a very tight-fitting tamper and you tamp very fast and pull pull your pull your tamper out very quickly, you know you can you can actually suck your whole puck out. <laughs> uh, it looks really beautiful, uh, but very annoying uh, at the same time. Um, or you know, at the very least, it might flip up one corner and cause a crack in your in your in your uh, tamp puck. Um, so these precision um, tools have come out are actually smaller 
right, than the actual basket size. And it gives that uh, pocket of air where it can re be released and uh, you mm. can kind of do your workflow a bit faster. Um, so that's a bit of a compromise in terms of creating that seal. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's a compromise in terms of speed uh, and, and remakes. So it was a fairly important sort of uh, detail that baristas were looking for. Um, but I think a lot of home users get confused about it and feel like, oh, actually, it's really good. It's, it's a better way to do it. But actually, they may not need that sort of, you know, speed in workflow. Uh, in fact, you know, slowing down for them is probably a better way to do it. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it, it does seem as though that, because unfortunately one thing with the coffee community is that we, you know, we like to have stuff for the sake of having stuff. Oh, me too. You know, yeah. <laughs> not one to sort of shy about it either. It's uh, uh, brew equipments and, you know, things like that. Uh, I've, I've tried them all. So it's pretty <laughs> crazy. The, the journey you go through. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so we, we, you, you kind of, I, I think you, you, you debunked quite a huge thing there with the, with the, with the leveler and the distribution tool and stuff like that. And I, I, you know, it was, it, when you explained it, it kind of clicked immediately. It's like, hang on a second. It's essentially creating a propeller shaped indentation, uh, and yes. then smoothing the rest of it over, which is causing dense pockets, which may result in channeling. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. so how essentially would you would you recommend if people want more than just you know the simplest form which is smoothing over tapping tamping um yeah you've mentioned a couple of words there you mentioned puck raking uh, i'm also very familiar with wdt um okay, could you yes. maybe explain a couple of those and maybe something you would recommend sure um so some of the uh, more um Advanced techniques that is coming out with in terms of puck prep is uh, one being the puck rake, and um, for your listeners who don't know what it is, it's it's um, essentially acupuncture needles um, in a certain formation, and it's used to uh, rehomogenize your grounds. And um, this tool was essentially created to uh, to basically iron out any flaws that your grinder may have. Mm. Um, you most likely see this with darker rose coffees that have more oils um, or you're in a very humid environment like Hong Kong um, and it makes your grounds clump up. Um, the other end of the spectrum is you've got a very old grinder and you've just not cleaned it. Um, okay. So, you know, those grinders will produce grounds that are clumpy, um, not so fluffy. And when you use uh, clumpy grounds in terms of extraction, it's kind of similar to the OCD things. You've got those compressed parts of the grounds and you've got fluffy parts of the grounds. So um, in short, the potential for extraction is already uh, not as good as it could be. Mm. Um, so the puck rake is used to rehomogenize the grounds. Um, what do we mean by rehomogenizing the grounds? Um, when a grinder grinds coffee, you have a distribution of grind size particles. Mm. Um, one of them being fines, which is the very small grind size particles. And mm. these fines um, can block up your, uh, your holes in your filter or cause your extractions to choke, either being, you know, hardly any coffee comes out at the bottom. Sure. Um, so we use the puck rate to rehomogenize uh, either in a sequential pattern or maybe just raking the top. Um, depends on what uh, style you prefer, but more often than not, just performing a simple rake or the whole thing uh, will create a very uniform extraction seen from the bottom. 
Um, a very interesting point is sometimes it's not, um, it's, your technique is very tool dependent. So okay. you may have tools that have, you know, the, the pins that are in a fan shape. Some are very straight. Um, mm. Some are very big and got many pins. Um, so the technique some have got a little loop very... on the end. I've seen that's quite yeah um, uh, yeah that's so quite common. Some have got a loop, yeah, and um, so it's very um, tool dependent. So I can't advise you on a specific technique, um, but I would say try raking the top first and see how you go. If you're still seeing um, uneven extractions at the bottom, go all the way to the bottom and make that scraping sound on the bottom of your basket. Okay, okay? you won't like it. All right, but uh, make that scraping sound, and you're essentially re-homogenizing the whole puck before you tan, uh, and this gives you the best possible chance on on you know not getting those donut extractions. Um, if you are using one and you're still getting donut extractions, what you can do is a nice little technique is after you've uh, you know di distributed it or raked it, you can actually just with the puck rake just put in two or three holes. And that what that creates is a, a less dense pocket in the middle, and you will find that the, when you come to extraction, this part and the edges will come out first, and then it will fill up mm. from those parts. Okay. So there are techniques you can use with the puck rate to help with your distribution, uh, but if you're doing that technique or you know you're creating a little divot, um, you can just underdose a little bit, and it will do the same thing. Um, right. So. This technique helps with overdosing, especially uh, oily coffee uh, or grinders that are, you know, not up to par or in an environment that creates, uh, creates clogging. So, um, so, yeah, I would say the puck rake is probably the most common tool that a lot of people have adopted and more so with lighter roasts. Mm. Um, and uh, they want that uh, with lighter roasts because it, it increases the puck integrity. Because you're, you know, you're redistributing the ground, so the whole puck is more consistent overall, rather okay. than you maybe the bottom part being uh, lots of fines and being the most puck integral, uh, and the top being the the least puck integrity, uh, having the least puck integrity. Sorry, um, you know, which in turn will cause channeling. Um, of course, so, of course, yeah, of course, um, yeah. Then you have a. Uh, you know, the really extreme ones, like the, the ones with many pins. Um, mm. And those are essentially what I've just described to you. you know, that's just doing that in the whole puck, putting minute holes in the whole puck, um, creating a uniform sort of uh, distribute, well, uniform density, I would say, uh, rather than the distribution of grounds. Um, so it's kind of a combination of things, um, but it really is dependent on the tool you have uh, and the dose you're using with that tool. Okay. I mean, taking the uh, t taking the idea that you initially put about uh, keeping your workflow as simple as possible to reduce um, variables of failure, is there such a thing as conducting puck raking or WTT, WDT to such a level where you now start to create more damage than um, uh, than 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 good? Is is that is that a thing? That's uh, very much a thing. Um... I actually, uh, that's why I actually say uh, perform the rake first because performing, rake meaning you're just doing like the top third of the coffee. Okay? Okay. You're not going all the way down. Okay, so that's why we call it raking. You're just raking the top to make it as flat as possible for a tamping. Um, and we, we introduced that because uh, there is more chance of you doing 
more harm if you do a deep DPWT, so going all the way down to the bottom of the basket, okay, as opposed to just raking the top. Uh, we're not sure why. Um, it could be that um, the distribution of the grounds was too much, and you, you know, it's like shuffling cards. If you shuffle them too many times, it actually uh, your you'll randomness them again. disappears. Yeah. Yes, you actually reorder them again. So um, it could be something to along those lines to it. So, but we don't actually know. All we know is that you can cause more harm than good. Um, and I advise people if they're going to go deep or all the way to the bottom, make it one rotation only around. Mm. Um, so if you're if you're just doing quarter circles, just quarter circles all the way around, uh, and then and then stop, and then go to the middle layer, do the same, and then break the top. So you do it in three stages. So the bottom sure. scrape along the bottom, the middle, and then you rip the top like normal. Uh, and that's what I would advise. Okay. Um, and the, but yeah, the, it's a very, very good question. Very good question. Uh, yeah. No, it's it, it just it, it's thanks to you. Uh, you know, you're you're kind of giving me these uh, the, these interesting <laughs> parameters. It's it's you know it's just these interesting parameters of keeping things fairly simple. Um, so I, you know, I just kind of thought maybe overworking the puck may. Um, uh, May, may may cause issues there that particular puck rake that you just showed is that is that is that a fairly generic one or is that or is that one that um, people could potentially this buy is, um, this is the what the decent one so people can actually okay. buy this and um or they can actually make them at home you know they don't have to buy it from us and um, uh, what they need is acupuncture needles at 0.4 millimeters okay. um any larger and you cause uh bad things to happen. Basically, you cause more channeling. So it has to be sure. 0.44 or below. And they can use a wine cork and just drill some holes and glue, glue these in, and, and it's, it's just as good as this. Uh, but if they Fantastic. want something a little bit more polished and you know a bit more ergonomic, um, they can obviously buy this from our, from our website. Um, a bit more Instagram-friendly. Yeah. Or Instagram-friendly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So generally, generally speaking, I think that the that the main things here is to probably take home is number one simplicity, and I think I think that's one thing that I'm really learning uh, talking to you. Yes, is just keep things as simple as possible. Don't try to you know uh, redo the wheel or whatever it might be. Um, <laughs> you know, if you if you if you want to keep your workflow as simple as possible, just go with the smooth over tap tamp, um, mm -hmm. and use some of the techniques that you said uh with regards to putting the tamper on taking it off yes or polishing it taking it off and then going on for your full tamp because yeah. equal extraction is the most important thing and if you want to add yeah. things don't go with a, a leveler or a dip, distributor look at wdt or puck raking uh, as opposed yes. to that yeah and it's a much more cheaper option if you go for the WT puck raking option as well. And you know, if you if you feel like this is a hobby that you really want to pursue, then then obviously you know work on the equipment and see if that works for you. Um, but yeah, um, and and there is another point in you know not diving too much in the accessories to a certain extent. In that mm. you know you will learn a lot more from a more simplistic tool than diving into the you know the advanced tools. Um, simply because you know you will find out why that tool is useful uh, rather than using it all the time and not realizing what, what was what was different without using it um, and you know bear in mind that these tools have come out because of light roasts so if you're using um, so if you're using uh, darker roasts uh, you may not need all these tools 
Um, but if you are delving in the lighter roast, for sure, uh, it will help you with your extractions. Uh, yeah, so happy Perfect. experimenting, Omar. <laughs> it's 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 going to be fun and like i said these kind of these 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 uneven unequal weird um uh, extractions have been uh something that has plagued my 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 espresso journey for 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 almost a year now and right. you know sometimes i change it and i'm it's difficult to be able to monitor it while you're doing it you know yeah, um yeah. because maybe you're in the flow and uh, maybe it's fairly early in the morning for me. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm barely functional before my before my morning coffee. Um, so it's not something that I can really keep great track of. But I think also one thing that I would probably take away from this is that the addition of a calibrated or a leveling tamper at tamper at the very least is probably yes. something that is is great for a beginner. Um, yeah. It just it yeah. takes out the inconsistencies just off the bat. Yeah, and, it, and and you know it's 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 definitely a skill to hone, and you know it just makes your whole workflow and experience in, in in you know learning how to make coffee a lot more enjoyable. And you know I think that's um, one of the things you gotta you gotta remember is we we do it because we enjoy it, uh, yeah. not because we it pulls our hair out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at times it might do, but um, <laughs> at the end of the day we, we we all enjoy it, so that's why we keep at it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I have to say, Paul, honestly, uh, talking about enjoying things, I have I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed uh, our conversation. Honestly, it's been oh. uh, that there, there are there are there are there are some episodes that I, I really do look forward to. And this was one of them. So, you know, I, oh. I, I honestly, I have to I have to thank you for your time, your expertise, your knowledge um, and uh, just your 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 general uh, shine as well. So. You know, th th honestly, thank you so much, and I'm 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 sure my audience are gonna are gonna are gonna really appreciate um, uh, having uh, having this episode as well. Um, thank you very much for having me on, Omar. It's actually been a, a real joy. Uh, I've had fun, and uh, hopefully, you know, I haven't bored you with too much details on the coffee. But uh, yeah, it's for sure something I can talk for days on. So um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it, Omar. Thoroughly enjoyed oh, I'm it. glad you did. I'm glad you did. But. Paul, it's been my pleasure. It really has. Thank you once again so much for your time. And I really am looking forward to having another conversation with you. I think it's going to be really good. Yeah, I look forward to it. <laughs>